Welcome to episode 15 of the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the go-to for all things Little Rock and Arkansas, but I also like learning about other people and what they have to offer. That's why I started a podcast. My guest for this episode is the autoimmune foodie. Her name's Shannon Lee. She talks about her health journey and how she was able to heal more than 10 conditions just through diet and a couple of other ways. You'll get to meet her right after this. This message is for our Central Arkansas listeners right now to the Lisa Fisher Said podcast. Real estate, home selling, home buying, Any of that kind of make you think, oh, I'm kind of interested. If you are, then you need to consider John Underhill Real Estate and the agent I want you to call is Brandy Harp. Brandy Harp is principal broker at John Underhill Real Estate, and she helps lead a team that has an outstanding reputation in central Arkansas. Whether it's your first time home you plan to buy, you know, these are historically low rates, People are buying so many homes that Brandy told me the inventory is low, but if this is your first time, your foray into real estate and buying or selling, these are the people you call and Brandy Harp is definitely the agent you want to have in your phone. They are a full service real estate company. They're a boutique agency. What they do stands out. Find out more by going to my website. You'll see the banner ad for John Underhill at lisafishersaid.com. I'm on the website right now for Richard Harp. It's Richard Harp Homes. If you've heard any of my podcast, or if this is your first one, welcome. But if you've heard any of them, you've heard me talk about Richard Harp and the outstanding work he does as a home builder and remodeler in central Arkansas. If you go to his website, richardharphomes.com, you can get there through the portal of my website, lisafishersaid.com, and you see the different tabs. You can meet Richard, press and media, portfolio, let's connect and testimonials. Okay, under the testimonials, this is where people go on and on. Richard listened to our needs, built our house down to the last detail. Someone else said, we've hired Richard several times for various remodeling projects. Highly knowledgeable and a perfectionist in his work. Remember that, a perfectionist in his work, but also what I always say about Richard is the fact that he likes to get you under budget and under time. Not everyone can make that promise. Find out more by going to my website and seeing the ad for Richard Harp Homes at lisafishersaid.com. She won most talkative in high school and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. And she's in Austin, Texas. So we get to talk to Shannon Pickering about her incredible story. Shannon, I love a scrappy fighter, someone who's (laughs) going to say, Lupus, you're not taking me down. But it's not just lupus. You had a whole host of autoimmune conditions and other conditions that you beat it, didn't you? I did. I did. Let's start with what was your first diagnosis and how old were you? Oh, that's a great question. So, um, and I love that you called me scrappy, by the way. Yeah, that's what you are. <laughs> when you're a fighter, I looked at um, your bio and that, what the fight you put on, man, you weren't going down. No, no. And, you know, I'm, I want to just say, uh, I've always said it's not how many times you get knocked down or even how many times you get knocked out because I have been knocked out more than once. 
it's just how many times you get back up. And so it's okay if it's hard. It's okay if it knocks you out, uh, but you can't give up. See, I so, was afraid you were going to say it's how many times you get knocked up. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going. I, no. I, I've been, I'm tracking the whole time. That's my accent. Um, <laughs> no, but you know, uh, I will tell you, and we, we can maybe talk about this later, is that that personality characteristic of mine that never gives up is part of what made me sick. And it's definitely part of what helped me feel. Oh, so, I see. You know, yeah. All of our sort of dominant personality traits can contribute to both. But I will go back and answer your question. Uh, I, the first thing I was diagnosed with was endometriosis when I was 12 years old. What? Um, yeah. So, uh, I was, I started having terrible, terrible pain where I couldn't go to school. And then I started hemorrhaging. Um, I remember one of my first memories of illness is being in a, the, you know, the bathroom when I'm like 12 years old and I hemorrhage everywhere. <sighs> Oh my gosh. And um, they had to come, you know, I had to hide in the bathroom stall while they brought me clothes and took me home. I had surgery when I was 13. And what were they doing? What I don't really know what the surgery is or any of the treatments for endometriosis because it's kind of this, not a phantom illness at all, but it's not anything anyone can definitively tell you this is what's wrong and this is what's happening. Only if they do surgery. So they actually have to go in as far as I've ever known with a camera and lay eyes on it. Otherwise, they can only suspect oh, what it is. Oh, I see. So if they can find the tissue of the uterus grown outside of the uterus, which is what that is, and it can grow all over your organs and gum things up, um, they can go in. And, but, you know, that's they don't want to do that. And, you know, usually they'll try to put you on birth control and painkillers and things to try and control it. Um, mine was out of control from the beginning. And now that, you know, that, uh, it is considered autoimmune and even, you know, my OBGYNs never told me that, but if you go look at lists of autoimmune, it's recognized as autoimmune. So having so many autoimmune diseases does not surprise me, but, um, you know, some of my earliest memories, and it's very terrible for a 12 year old to be going to the OBGYN, having surgeries and whatnot, but, um, I was put on birth control pills, which I stayed on for decades, and even that didn't help. And so what they try to do eventually is they go in laparoscopically and they try to cauterize off. I think that's what they're doing. They're trying to burn off all the extra tissue. Sometimes pregnancy helps, but it causes infertility. I never um, did. I don't think I ever was able to have children. So Mm. um, eventually when I was like 34, they gave me a hysterectomy because taking the uterus out helped. But it's considered incurable, and I was told, you know, and it's a chronic pain disease. I don't think people understand the horrific nature of the pain where you're not getting out of bed. I mean, if you go to the bathroom, you might be crawling because it's wow. like you're just being stabbed. Is it just the worst period cramps? So, Because I, I don't know. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, if you can imagine it's so bad that, I'll, you know, so bad that you just, you can't straighten your body. You're curled in a ball with a heating pad. You're on painkillers. Um, and that can go on two out of every four weeks. So for me, I had mm. two, two, two weeks where I was like abled and two weeks I was disabled. And I, and I was trying to, you know, work and I was very successful in my multiple careers and trying to hide it and work around it. I got really good at just sort of saying like that uh, scrappy, you're not taking me down. Mm-hmm. And so I just, my default was with all my diseases was just to plow them over and keep going. Um, but it's a terrible disease. Uh, I don't think people totally understand it, just how awful it can be. But I did have the hysterectomy, and I was told that this can't go away. You'll be on birth control forever. Uh, you'll always be on probably pain meds. Um, and sure enough, 
the hysterectomy helped, but for the next eight years, I was on birth control and pain meds. Uh, and it was better, but I did, along with all my other autoimmune, cure it and have been off meds forever. And I was Wait, told let, that was let, let not me go possible. Back okay, let me, I'm yep. trying to think yep. of, if you don't have a uterus anymore, how could you still have endometriosis? I don't know that I can answer that. I don't know if it's just that some of the tissue has already escaped and it just can't ever be reined oh, in. I'm not sure I know, other than I was told this isn't a cure and nothing is a cure. Wow. That, that's it, not good news. I mean, for a 12, 14, 16, oh, a teenager no. to hear this, that's awful. It's awful. And uh, even today, now I can't prove I'm cured of um, endometriosis. I've been off meds for four years with no no symptoms, which has never happened since I was 12. I have not gone in to get a laparoscopic surgery to prove there's no tissue in there. So I, So I can't prove to you that I'm cured. But I can tell you, that I am absolutely medication and symptoms-free and have been for quite some time. Well, I do wish doctors would listen more to the patient and not lab values in every circumstance. I say that for thyroid all the time, but also for conditions that we've been named or it's been a part of our identity. If To me, if we're not having symptoms from it, then I'm just going to say it's, and I'm not putting my head in the sand. I know cancer and other things has mar- have markers, but there are some conditions, because I know I have a couple myself, and a couple of them don't give me any trouble. So I, I don't count them when I count my family of autoimmune conditions. Right. You know, and I don't know if they say you can't be cured because that's truly what the science they think it says, or if it's because they, they're afraid to tell you that and then it comes back, right? You know, yeah. I don't know if part of it's yeah. probably liability, but I don't believe for a minute that autoimmune can't be cured because... I do have evidence, lab evidence, that some of my autoimmune diseases are gone. Okay, so I got to ask this. Do you have a high ACE score, adverse childhood experiences score? No. Okay, because, you know, that is a big marker for people who have many autoimmune conditions. It is, and I did have high, high, a very high stress abusive corporate career. I had a a, um, difficult marriage. And some other things, but, you know, my autoimmune, so I had a wonderful childhood. And um, I think if you do these complicated health histories through functional medicine doctors, there's so many things that correlate, certainly trauma and toxins and number of lifetime vaccines and your genetics. So I never think everything is one, you know, it's not a one factorial how you got sick and one factor, you know, factorial how you're going to heal. Um, and so I did have some stressors as an adult, but my autoimmune started, I mean, I had a very lovely childhood. Hmm. So, um, because you're pretty young to already have, you know, docked one at age 12. So you had that one, then, um, scrappy little Shannon there is, (laughs) is wired for high stress. You're probably an overachiever, high achiever type A. So then did the other ones come on in college when you were trying to fight your way through, or is it more in the corporate world? Yes, yeah, so that's a great question. And I will say one thing that's interesting is I have, you know, I won the crap genetic lottery. But if you look at my mother, father, and brother, they have the exact, they have all the 60 bad, you know, gene mutations I have. My brother's in his 50s. My parents are in their 80s. They have no autoimmune. They've had no illness. They're incredibly healthy. So, you know, when people say I've got these bad genetics, I do actually think my type A personality and my, I am the only person in my family that's an empath and super high strong and, uh, you know, a worry wart and all of that. I think that's a huge factor. Yeah, same. Yeah, 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 I get it. 
So, um, okay, uh, I went to uh, college and then graduate school, and then I was uh, started my career as a psychologist. And um, in my about the time I started my first career, I was diagnosed with narcolepsy, which is also now considered autoimmune. Something really, called- it is now. Wow, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Because yeah. my husband swore I had it when I my thyroid disease before I got diagnosed because I was so sleepy. I'd fall mm-hmm, asleep mid-sentence. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. And it, narcolepsy is kind of a tangled web there. It's difficult to treat, isn't it? It's considered, impo- I mean, it's it's a nightmare. So of everything, yeah. and even lupus and cancer, which both could have killed me, n- narcolepsy is still my biggest nightmare. Um, and, and, and what people don't understand about it is that you can have it with cataplexy or without. And if you don't have cataplexy, you don't have that characteristic, you fall asleep in the middle of a sentence or right. you fall down. So it's massively interdosed. They don't know how many people have narcolepsy without cataplexy because it's just a hypersomnia like apnea or like periodic movement disorder, anything that disrupts your sleep. And so with narcolepsy, you have this bizarre uh, insomnia at night and hypersomnia during the day. But oh. all that's happening is you spend all of your time kind of in REM sleep, which is not a restful sleep. You never go into stage three or four sleep. So you go to a sleep study. You never reach stage three or four. So two things happen. You never get a night's rest and you never get tissue repair. Uh, so it's going to contribute to other illnesses because you're not getting restorative, reparative sleep. And the but other thing is, but your head mm-hmm. was on the pillow for let's say seven or eight hours, hours, hours and hours, okay. and you can sleep all day, and you will never ever catch up because you're never ever going into the right stage of sleep for rest. So if you've ever stayed up all night and then had like a bunch of stimulants or caffeine to get you through the day, that's narcolepsy every day of your life, and you never get a single day where you feel refreshed or rested. So you were you tired. Up. You were tired every day. Exhausted. And I lived on a massive amount of prescription stimulants right. and coffee. And so they try to treat it. And I also had this weird periodic movement disorder, which is a movement disorder throughout the night that also prevents you from going into deep stage sleep. And so they give you meds for Parkinson's, which have a lot of <gasps> side effects. I wore big patches. <sighs> And unfortunately, with Parkinson's meds, you have to titrate to a higher and higher dose. And they Ugh. also cause like unwanted movements in and of itself. But um, they, you know, they start trying to give you antidepressants and sleep meds and stuff for bipolar. They try any uh. psychiatric meds they can. None of those will give you deep sleep. Um, they did more recently come out with basically, you know, a growth factor uh, drug that's like an anesthesia that will help you get some deep sleep. But that drug in and of itself is horrific to take. So it's a nightmare. And I was never told that that could be cured. And and it is cured because I, I haven't gone back for a sleep study, but I sleep great. And my aura ring shows I have normal sleep. Now, are you a PhD? No, I'm a master. I had a master's. A master's okay. so, but and still. I was a licensed psychologist. Okay. Well, no, that's 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 high achieving right there, sister. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just thinking all this into it that you are just very driven. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm driven. So when did you start getting the sleepless or restless nights? How old were you for that? In my twenties, usually narcolepsy onsets in your twenties. Uh and so that and also about the same time in my in my mid twenties. And I was in graduate school when I studied narcolepsy, I thought, oh my gosh, I have this. And so I took myself to the university sleep clinic. And in fact, I did have classic narcolepsy. Uh, so let's see, that's about the same time I started getting stomach issues. So um, horrific stomach pains, IBS. I was always diagnosed with IBS. 
And as it progressed, it was gastroparesis where your stomach stopped <gasps> working. Okay. Now that is serious. That's a motility disorder that those yes. people will eat something and it never does leave their chest cavity. No, you know? no, it stays in your stomach and you, and you eventually either digest it or you throw up and it makes you nauseous. Nausea. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. So um, my, I had, they, they said I had total GI dysmobility, right? And uh, severe gastritis when they went in and did a, you know, a tube down the throat. Uh And then I developed severe colitis where I was hemorrhaging from the colon so badly that I was hospitalized. And they would say, all right, you have 18 inches of severely um, ulcerated colon. And if it doesn't heal, we're going to resect your colon. And then I would have to go lay in bed and have broth because I did not want my colon resected. Good for so, you. Yes. It's kind of like I was listening to Dr. Ing Beard. I know. Exactly. Very similar. And, they, and they said, you know, know, we've done biopsies of the, you know, it's not ulcerative colitis and it's not Crohn's. We're kind of going to call it ischemic colitis because we don't know what it is. So I went to Mayo Clinic for two weeks. And how old are you at this point? Um, in my 20s. Okay. And had you already achieved your degree status and you were working? Yeah, I, was a, okay. I was a psychologist uh, from my early 20s to late 20s. I taught um, psychology at the University of South Alabama and I was a therapist for the for uh, children and families and teens. Okay. And then I pivoted when I was about 30 into a corporate career for the next 15 years. Uh, but all of this was on set before uh, even the corporate career. Uh, so I went to, to Mayo Clinic for two weeks, and the, I always say if you want, if you don't want to have a lot of fun, go for a two week GI workout because oh, you imagine. know they're gonna mess with your GI system every way they can, and it's it's pretty sad. You know, I got five colonoscopies in two weeks. And Are you say, kidding me? No, people say I don't want a colonoscopy. I'm like, you'll live, you'll live. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it could save your life. <laughs> but did you get a diagnosis of anything? No, after- ma'am. And Ugh. I also saw the OB-GYN folks while I was there. And I walked away with a diagnosis of, of IBS in a free Mayo Clinic cookbook. Um, <laughs> oh, it was a lovely and- parting gift chosen, especially for you. <laughs> and I and I followed the diet and I got sicker and sicker. And in fact, my stomach used to hurt so bad. I had one uh, GI doctor who was a lovely man and a good doctor, but he said, I can I, I'm gonna. I could try to p- inject your stomach all with painkillers to oh, maybe just deaden gosh. the pain because I couldn't, you know, sit up or lay down without pain. One thing I think is fascinating. All these years later, when I go back and look at my Mayo paperwork, I had, you know, antibiotics to gluten, okay. and they yeah. didn't say a word about it other than I had, I had five sets of biopsies and you know and even today when i go to a new gi doctor they say i i know you have celiac we're going to do a biopsy and i say you know fine whatever and it's always no you know you don't have celiac so their thing was if you don't have celiac you don't need to worry about gluten even though my blood work showed these weird um antibiotics to gluten so that disappoints me that there's still this thought amongst doctors that if you don't have celiac, you don't need to worry about gluten sensitivity. Well, you know, we have this beautiful bakery in Little Rock. It's the one of the top gluten-free bakeries in the country, yeah. Dempsey Bakery. Mm-hmm. And they'll have speakers come in from all over the world. It's amazing what they do. The foods, they're unbelievable. But one of the speakers who came a few years ago um, said everybody in t- with today's gluten, he said, not your grandmother's gluten, because it's different. We know genetically modified and some other things have happened to 
the wheat crop in the last 50 years. But he said, everybody today has some sort of allergy to it. It's just how far you want to take it and how much you can put up with. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't disagree. And then there's also the, you know, glyphosate and the chemicals they put it on and the GMO. I mean, it's, and, and then there's those people who just say that just the fact that we can see under a microscope that there are elements in gluten that can separate your gut lining and create leaky gut. I mean, there's just so many reasons that I just prefer to avoid all forms of gluten. Uh, But it's interesting to me that to this day, there's still mainstream isn't recognizing that. How, and that's not the only thing that was a problem. Stress, for sure. You know, people will say, I've done the, my diet, I've done all of these things, and I'm still having all of these stomach issues. And um, people don't want to hear how much stress. The only thing that will bring on colitis for me to this day is stress. And what do you do if, you're, if you have a flare-up now? Well, it's almost never. I had a flare-up when I had cancer because that was so stressful. As if all these other autoimmune conditions isn't enough, you show up one day with a cancer diagnosis. Okay, because we're not even through them. We're now we're at celiac or gluten sensitivity. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so colon hemorrhaging Ugh. and stomach. That you know, did not you working. weigh? Did you even weigh a hundred pounds with all this GI distress? Um, gosh, you know, back then, uh, uh, people always thought I was anorexic. I was severely underweight. But as the inflammation started climbing in my late 20s, especially so when I was diagnosed with narcolepsy, um, because you don't really repair and growth factors help you maintain a healthy weight, I gained a lot of weight. Um, and, oh, from and that's inflammation. Not, uh, yeah. yeah, if you're not yeah. sleeping. Yeah. So, yeah. so I wasn't. Um, so let's see. You know, as time went on, there was a lot more. I mean, I was, I was diagnosed with adult onset asthma. I was. Uh, almost emergency airlifted one time when an ER couldn't get my asthma under control. Um, I was almost life flighted in um, Colorado when they couldn't get it under control. So that was very scary. There were other things, but then the big things in my, uh, throughout my thirties, I was getting sicker. Like I had very strange blood work. I had a hematologist. I had neuropathy, you know, I had a nerve conduction study. Oh, your nerves are not working, but we, we couldn't tell you why. Um, I had rashes. I just, I went to specialist after specialist. And finally, I was in Colorado teaching a class to about 300 people at my corporate job. I was a corporate trainer. And um, people were saying, you look sick. You don't look well. And I mean, we, you look like you need to go to the hospital. And I am like, all, as always, I'm fine. <laughs> and I collapsed in front oh, of all wow. those people. And I had pericarditis. So I had fluid buildup around my heart, heart and my lungs. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I, and by this time, I had severe arthritis. I had an arm in a sling. My neurologist said, your arm is in such bad shape. Your ligaments are tearing. You, can't, you know, I'm going to put it in a cast if you don't if you stop using it. You were on anyway, more medicines in, in your uh, 30s than, than your loads. parents are probably in their 80s. Oh, loads of medicine. Loads. Wow. Of med- I was on so many meds. So anyway, uh, that is when uh, pericarditis can be a hallmark of uh, lupus. And, a, a, you know, I was 44 at this point, but I had had symptoms for years. So they sent me to a rheumatologist and I had almost all the symptoms of lupus. They were pretty sure I had. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which is kind of like a whole body yeah. 
systemic inflammation. And, and a catchphrase for people who they really don't know if it's thyroid disorder or they what it is. Yeah, but yeah. Um, they do real specific pressure point testing. I mean, my, my rheumatologist was real meticulous about the diagnosis. He would not diagnose me with lupus when many others would. And so then I developed the very characteristic Mylar rash and I went to some dermatologists oh. and they confirmed mm-hmm. it. And then I developed the UV sensitivity. That is when you develop almost, I'm going to say, an allergy to the sun. So any sun exposure creates this uh, almost like a chemical burn, a searing sort of nerve pain rash. On your face? Oh, anywhere. anywhere. So, so if you the butterfly you, rash is one thing, but you're saying this that's is on this your is, face. Okay, this mm-hmm. is separate. Okay, this is separate. So then I started. Wow. I ulcerated my entire mouth and throat became ulcerated. I had a fever every day, and if I walked outside, I had to put zinc on and cover my hands and my face and every part of my body and wear UV protective clothing. But it got so bad. So uh, the kind of UV that you react to with lupus comes through your windows. So I spent thousands of dollars coating my windows and putting in triple sets of curtains. But even so, when daylight, when dawn happened, the fever would start because you're always bombarded with UVB. Wow. You light, really, you unlike really UVA. Needed, you needed to live in a bubble. Uh, yeah. So I did start living in a bubble. I feared daytime. I couldn't go out and get my mail. If I walked to the mailbox, I would blister. Oh it was a gosh. horrific <laughs> existence. And so I was, um, then I was finally diagnosed with lupus. I had all of the hallmarks. And I remember when I went, I told my ob I said, you're not going to believe it, but I've n- now I've been diagnosed with lupus. And she looked at me and she said, Shannon, my friend, I believe it because you are the autoimmune shit show. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> well, he is a loving, kind person. We I had been, it. you know, close for years. And I laughed and I, you know, because I don't want to be pitied. I, and I said, right. you know, thanks for telling me like it is. But I, that, you know, for so for a long time, I called myself the autoimmune shit show. Yeah. Uh, but I will tell you what happened is that by 2014, I was uh, disabled. I left my corporate career, couldn't, couldn't work anymore. And uh, I was told by my rheumatologist, you know, you now have auto antibodies to your DNA. And unlike your heart or your lungs. To your own DNA. DNA. Yeah, that's right. Which I I didn't know was a thing. I I didn't either. And so he said, you know, while you could theoretically have a heart or a lung or a kidney transplant, I'm not going to be able to transplant your DNA. Uh, Lupus is a progressive, aggressive disease. Yours is progressing fast. Mm. And he showed me the infusion room. We're going to start you on chemo and steroids. And this is going to be a lifelong thing to manage it. But he kind of indicated, I was 44 at the time, you may not make it to 50. And I accepted in my heart, I wasn't going to live to 50. And I'm 50 in January. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Right? Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, And that was almost rock bottom. Because I, that's when that that stubbornness that made me run my diseases over and never listen to my body and never heed the the messages it was sending me for to help it is when I turned it back around and said, you know what? No. Every one of these doctors is telling me all of this is incurable, but I believe that bodies were made to heal and I don't believe it. And if they don't have the answers, because I truly believe doctors had the answers. I'm going to go at least try to find out for myself before I subject myself to chemo and steroids. 
And that was came on steroids just for the lupus. Then yes, you, that's right. when did you get the cancer diagnosis then? So I started, I dedicated my life to health and healing. I went and got multiple, I had become a positive psychology coach. And then I went and got several health certifications through places like Walls Protocol and mm-hmm. Bulletproof. Mm-hmm. Um, and I implemented everything I could about health and healing that made sense to me. And within, uh, I think about 18 months, I was free of all symptoms other than my thyroid has never normalized. Mm-hmm. In two years, I was off all of my meds, all of my supplements. I take one supplement. Um, as I was approaching four years, I no longer had any strange blood work. My All those autoimmune antibodies were gone. Every, every, you know, you could not point to anything and say that I had ever had disease. So even gastroparesis, your motility oh, all was... Of it. 18 mm. months, it was all gone. Mm. Everything I've talked about, and it's never come back. No, no symptoms have ever come back. That was that was 2015. Wow. Um, and so in 2018, you know, if you look at my before pictures, my hair was falling out. I was inflamed. I was so incredibly sick. 2018, if you look at my profile pictures, 2016, 17, 18, I'd lost 60 pounds. I looked incredibly healthy. I looked 10 years younger than I had looked. Um, my life was on track. I was a health coach. I was exercising, you know, life was so good. And, um, I was out of nowhere, had my annual mammogram and was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. Oh my gosh. And I could not believe my first thought was no, 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 no. I am the autoimmune shit show girl. I am not mm-hmm. the cancer girl. And I, right. and I, and I no, thank you. You know, I will decline. Thank you. Anyway, I was devastated mm. and I had a lump too small to feel. I had just had my clinical breast exam. None of my doctors were able to feel it, even knowing where the lump was. And yet it had spread extensively through my vascular and lymph. Wait, then why did you have, were you just having a diagnostic mammogram? Yeah. Well, it was just a routine mammogram. A routine mammogram. I mean, routine is what the term I meant. Oh, so, oh, wow. And they saw a shadow, right? And it turns out I had this teeny tiny little tumor that could not be felt, but it had aggressively spread. And, you know, people always say, oh, you had this healthy lifestyle. Well, I'd had the healthy lifestyle for four years. That cancer grows for many years. And people always want to know why you got cancer again. It's like asking why you got autoimmune. There are so many factors. I think being on birth control for years, I think having such, I had very screwed up estrogen, which I learned in my health journey. But if I had known that when I was 12, you know, I had, uh, my, my tumor was 98% estrogen driven. Mm. And while they were addressing the crazy estrogen, the bad estrogen that I had, um, maybe if I had known that years ago, but also I was taking growth factor for narcolepsy and immune suppressing drugs for lupus. So that was kind of a bad combination. So I think there's a lot of risk factors and I don't ever go back and say why, because I don't really care. It doesn't matter because remember you had to get out of pain as a 12 year old. You couldn't see past your nose to even the next day at that age. Right. So had they said to you, look, this is, this has a chance of possibly giving you breast cancer. You'd think, well, I. I, that's not going to, I can't, I can't even imagine my life at that point. So no. you, you had to relieve yourself of symptoms. So you did, Shannon, you did the right thing. And also, again, I believe in doctors. Now I don't, it's not that I don't still believe in doctors. I still have MDs. I still take a prescription medicine, but they didn't have the answers for 
what is the root cause or how do you reverse it? You know, honestly, I'm not even that interested anymore. I heard Dr. Terry Wall say at a paleo FX a number of years ago, Mm -hmm. person after person was asking her, can the Walls protocol help this? Can it help this? And she finally said, listen, if I look at your disease under a microscope, I'm going to see mitochondrial damage. I'm not going to be able to tell you what disease it is. They're all going to look the same at the cellular level. And that's when I understood that this is why I healed from everything at the same time. If all disease is a cellular issue and you give your cells what they need to heal, theoretically, anything could heal. And in my case, it did. And I think the beautiful story is that it healed so many different things with the exact same tools. I didn't need to know what I had to heal all of it. But now with this journey, so this kind of interrupts your other journey because (laughs) cancer um, and finding the causes and the cures are very divided. So, so you could have either, and you may have done a traditional route of chemo and radiation, or there are obviously, we know, alternate, alternative routes. What, What did you decide? Yeah, so that's a great question because for me, the answer to autoimmune was not to be found in medicine other than functional medicine. I did have a functional medicine doctor, Um, but it was really me taking control of um, healthy steps. So interestingly enough, I spent 10 years of my career immersed in the world of breast cancer. So, you know, I was teaching a class on breast cancer when I collapsed at Mm. my corporate job. I had been to all the conferences. I had all of the journals. I knew I had visited over 300 breast cancer doctors in the U.S. I had been to almost every cancer clinic. So I knew a lot about it. Um, For me, you know, like I love Andrew Weil and his spontaneous Mm -hmm. healing, but even he says cancer is the least likely disease to go into spontaneous remission because it is a catastrophic failure of the immune system to start with. Mm. I personally, with how aggressive my tumor was, and I'm not saying I'm right and wrong because nobody should be telling anybody what their cancer journey is. That's right. This is your journey. Totally. And my thing is you got to live with the consequences. Right. So was I willing to go the completely alternative route? And if it came back, would I be happy with that? And the answer was no. So I did all of the, I did a year of chemo and steroid and radiation, and I am right now getting therapy for the PTSD related to the actual treatments because I have triggers where I can taste the chemo. I can hear the Are radiation. Are you serious? Ah. It's terrific. And this, and this trauma doctor said, you know, there's trauma around having cancer, but there's so much trauma around treatment. Never even thought of that. Oh, I get triggered going in my guest bathroom that I'm about to be radiated. It's, it's, um, it's a horrific journey and you know, you have to decide if that's right for you. And then I also did alternative treatments as well. Um, I'll never forget when I was done with chemo radiation, all of it, my surgeon saying, you have extensive vascular invasion, not just lymph nodes, but vascular. And it's not likely the surgery certainly didn't get rid of it all and the chemo didn't. And so the radiation may, but really at this point, it's up to your immune system. And my first thought was, oh no, that's the thing I don't want to rely on. I don't have a reliable immune system. Please don't tell me that's going to be the answer. Um, 
So, the good news is I know how to make a strong immune system. I'm not really fearful of cancer coming back, even though the next stage was stage three is stage four. And they're telling me you need these constant MRIs to catch it early if it metastasizes. Oh. I believe in my journey that um, I healed from lupus and everything else and I'm healed from cancer and it's not coming back. And, I, and while I believe in alternative therapies, what I believe in the core of my being, that it's the foundations of health. It's nutrition and exercise and stress management. I'm using the elements of the earth and detoxing your environment and detoxing your life. And all of the things that healed me from lupus, I believe, are the keys to keeping me cancer free. So while it was devastating, and I'm still recovering more than a year later from the treatment, it, it was just, it really knocked me for a loop. Uh, I'm, I'm finally, you know, I've, I've had a long time. I've had gratitude for the lupus. And I finally moved into a place of gratitude for the cancer because I do believe, and I did have to put my career on hold sort of when I finally found my dream career or my, my strengths and talents and, you know, everything sort of my passion collided. I had to put that on hold, but I think you find meaning in suffering and you channel that into purpose. And, uh, you know, I believe I have a calling and all of these things uh, are just compost for new growth. And so I, I choose not to live in a place of fear. Oh, you can't, Mm -mm, you can't, but it's easy for me to say, I'm not where you are. Anybody else is. So tell me then, when did you start getting that train back on the tracks and you were going in the right direction with, with loop with, let's start with the autoimmune conditions Mm -hmm. first, the narcolepsy, the endometriosis, the celiac, the lupus, the neuropathy. So what is the question again when I started? When did you, what, what did you start doing? I want to hear about your, oh, your like health what I journey. Did to, oh yeah, sure. Okay. Um, and some of this is in hindsight, you know, what I've learned, but um, I really believe that you've got to get your foundations in order. And, you know, it's like, if you have a house, you're building on a, a cracked foundation, you wouldn't build the house there, right? Until the foundation was solid. So I really believe you've got, and I knew even at the time, I need to focus on the fundamentals before I do the fancy stuff. So um, that, you know, is nutrition, movement, and sleep in my mind. So I started with nutrition. Um, I personally chose the Walls Protocol as a template. And and let's just go back over. Isn't Dr. Walls, the, was she the lady who had like MS or lupus mm-hmm. and cured herself? Yeah, she wouldn't say she's cured. Okay. She had a secondary progressive MS. She was in a tilt recline wheelchair. She was a doctor. She was disabled. Um, she was losing her life. And she was told she would never walk again or get out of her tilt recline wheelchair. And she had tried chemo and drugs and paleo diet and veganism and everything she could think of. And she also said, you know, I'm not giving in. So she said, I'm going to start from scratch and I'm going to just research theoretically, what cells need from a biochemistry perspective to heal themselves. And I'm just going to put it together. And within six months, not only was she out of her wheelchair, she was riding a bike. Mm. And she told this story. I was at her seminar and her wife was there and her kids were there and they were all crying because she said they all realized at that moment, her theory had merit. Uh, and, and now it's like 10 something years later, she looked younger than ever. She looked healthier every year. She believes that any chronic illness can be reversed if you give yourself the right tools. So that was my starting point. And 
she is a functional medicine doctor, so she believes in identifying root cause, but she really helps you with, you know, movement, nutrition, all of it. So I started the nutrition template, which I'm on to this day. Um, and what's that like? What's every day? Is Shannon's every, because people want to know, what are you eating? They do. The number one question, I guess, what did you do? What, right. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm like, you know, that's the book I'm writing and the classes I'm developing, because for me to tell you everything I did to heal is going to take some time because I spent every minute of the last six years, you know, learning and healing. Uh, but it, but in general, and it's very much like I was listening to your uh, podcast on intermittent fasting, which I love. Thank you. Um, just like she said, I agree. I will tell you, but that doesn't mean that's what's right for <laughs> right, you. Right. No, I do not believe in this. Um, here's the template for you. This is what you should eat and when you should eat. And, and because I really believe that all journeys are individualized and you take a template and you have to individualize it for you. Right. For me, it was very important to stay gluten-free. I do not do well with casein. Casein has, uh, which is dairy, growth factors in it, which I don't think are good for um, cancer. So I stay away from yeah. that. I stay away from sugar. I've not had any refined sugar in six years. Wow. Shannon. Man. No gluten. Yeah. Well, listen, I feel like uh, I'm about to be 50 and, and I don't have the right to be here, right? I mean, I was not supposed yeah. to make it. Yeah. So what is a little, you need to get used to it. There's gluten. I can make anything gluten-free. Um, in fact, when I started this journey, I tried to bargain with God. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, listen, you've got to help me. I don't, my life is in your hands. I don't want to die, but uh, please don't make me give up chocolate, red wine, or coffee. And did he, <laughs> did, he did he make you give those up? Well, not at first. <laughs> yeah. You know, I believe that it was like, I was immune to those things for a while. So it was gluten, dairy, sugar. Uh, then she has a prescriptive. So you eat certain vegetables in certain amounts. Like you eat certain leafy greens and, and color veggies and sulfurs because you need your antioxidants to battle the free radicals. You need help with detox. You need um, all these specific nutrients. And so it's prescriptive. It's not super restrictive. Um, but for sure, absolutely got away with the process. So I was a junk food junkie. I was not a healthy girl. I lived on Coke and fast food, especially because I traveled five days a week. Um, now, how did that drink. change? How did you adapt that lifestyle then? Or that eating pattern with the chronic stress lifestyle you have as... A, I changed everything. I uh, mean, I changed every part of my life. And not everyone has to do that. If you look at um, healthy behaviors as a menu, even nutrition is a menu. Uh, what you take out of your environment or add from your environment is a menu. I may have to make... Maybe I made 100 changes and I may need to make 100 more, but I've seen people make 10. I've seen people that make one major change, you know, for whatever reason, vitamin D or cold therapy is just the thing they needed, but that's quite rare. Um, so for me, I was just all in and I don't think everybody has to make as many changes I, as I did, but um, I just want people to know it was not a health nut. I didn't know anything about this. In fact, I used to eat what my husband called Dharma food because he's like, your food will be here in a hundred years. So it's got so <laughs> oh much gosh. preservative in it. Oh, so no, word. you know, I cannot do preservative emulsifiers, food diet. You know, anything that's made in a lab is not supposed to go in your butt. So you cook probably everything at home. I do. I do. I start, I, I didn't cook. My husband did all the cooking. Wow. 
So I started cooking. I taught myself to cook and I started posting my recipes on a hobby Instagram site just because I was getting, I was brain foggy and I was forgetting what I'd cooked before. And I got a, you know, a a micro following, you know, of thousands of people, uh, which I thought was so interesting because by far it was the most successful thing I had done. And it wasn't anything professional. It was just trying to make, I'm a foodie. So I wanted Mm -hmm. healthy food to be good. And now, I'm known for healthy food being delicious. Well, one thing, though, you pointed out that I think is very important. Everyone wants to know what don't you eat. And you have that list. But we also have to, you were talking about the leafy green vegetables. There are things we have to eat to fight off the free radicals that I don't think people want. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What can I, what, what can I buy, though? <laughs> what, what food can I buy to be just like you? And it is very subjective. It is. And the important thing is, you know, I don't, I personally don't believe that the extreme like vegan or carnivore is the answer because I believe we have gut bacteria that need protein and produce Mm -hmm. as our main pillars to feed. And, you know, and of course, fermented food and all these things. Um, But I believe from a gut perspective, what happens like you might go carnivore and you feel great because you've removed every trigger. But I don't know that in a year or two, your gut's going to be healthy. Um, so, you know, I, I, I advocate finding a good template and then individualizing it. Now, as far as individual things I had to take away, I eventually had to take away anything you can name. Um, I reacted to mycotoxins, ice, uh, uh oxalate, nightshade. Mm. Um, I, you know, I got down to where I was drinking broth and eating vegetables. I did eventually have to take caffeine away for a year and a half. I did eventually have to take away red wine, which I've not been able to reintroduce. I did eventually take away chocolate for a few months. Um, Coconut, there's nothing you can name that I didn't have to eliminate. Then for you to reintroduce it, how did you know it was time? Or how did you know it wasn't time? You know, if you just avoid something for a while and then you have a very small portion, you can do pulse testing, you can do muscle testing, you can go get advanced allergy therapeutic testing, or you can just see how you feel. I got very good at just even licking something and knowing immediately (laughs) that I started feeling inflammation in my ears and my head and my throat. Um, But as your gut heals, in my experience, there's almost nothing that you have to eliminate that you can't add back. For me, gluten, dairy, Anything, you know, that's just not a, I call non-food. If it's a chemical, it's just not a food. Uh, gluten, dairy, and wine at this point, I cannot add back. I hope to add wine back. Uh, but anything else, you know, you, you, it's just as your gut heals, it's like the doctor you interviewed said, almost anything is escaping a leaky gut and then you're mounting, and you know, autoimmune antibodies too, but that can heal. Do you feel like your gut is healed? I think my gut is healed. If you give me gut tests, I have a very healthy microbiome. Um, and how do we only, know that? Is there a diagnostic test for healthy microbiomes? There are, t- there are gut tests like stool tests oh, that will, yeah. you know, look at your gut microbiome. And the ones that I've had say, yeah, you know, you're, you're, it's really pretty healthy. You've got diverse, you know, whatever. Honestly, the only time I have gut issues is if I were to eat anything like the industrial vegetable oil or, um, preservatives or food dyes, those will always be harmful and stress. And meaning you're inflamed through pain or your hip hurts or does your face turn red? You know, what are things that trigger it for you, Shannon, that you're thinking, oh, I just crossed the line. You mean with a food? With a food. Yeah. Um, 
uh, IBS type symptoms, first of all, my body tries to detox, just flush it all out, oh, you know. So cramping, so, diarrhea, or yeah, pain. Uh, yeah, just mm-hmm. my stomach turning inside out. It wants it out of the system. Yeah. And then there's almost always headache and fatigue and brain fog. I mean, if you eat something and your energy takes a nosedive, there's something in that food, whether it's too much carb, you're insulin resistant, or it's a mycotoxin, or it's an element of the food itself, like an anti-nutrient, something is wrong. Food should should make you feel energized. So what are foods that make you feel energized? Oh, gosh, vegetables, healthy, clean proteins. Uh, I don't drink anything but black coffee and and filtered water. Um, You know, any real, real food that's a real food. It wasn't grown in a lab. It pretty much makes me feel energized now. Now I have to, uh, I've always battled insulin resistance and being on all the steroids for, you know, yeah. cancer therapy didn't help. Um, I can overeat a, a grain, a gluten-free grain. Uh, and I do better with grains in the evening or early morning, although I tend to intermittent fast most of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it changes, you know, one of your other guests was talking about how dynamic it is. What works for me today is not what worked yesterday yeah, and, and will not work tomorrow. The thing is, Shannon, that you are, and we all need to be, is you are a student of Shannon Pickering. Yeah. You know, and that's what we need to be in order to overcome and you know, tame these beasts that are bothering us. What? And for somebody, there might be someone listening now that doesn't have one autoimmune condition. Now, I don't know many people that can say that, but my, true. my yeah, my husband doesn't have any autoimmune conditions. I'm the, you know, I always say I'm the poster child for the whole family. Um, <laughs> but there are things that bother him that, but it's not, and I don't care. It's his deal that if he wants to clear his throat after he drinks milk, that's fine by me. But as for me in my house, I have to do things for me and really be a student. But sometimes I get lazy and I think, oh, that probably wasn't that bad. I'll just live with it until, and I told Dr. Beard this, until I totally eliminate it and then I bring it back. And then I think, oh, that really did bother me because I don't like admitting it. <laughs> I don't like giving oh, up these sure. things I love. No, nobody does. I mean, you know, when I started this and people suggested to me that I go on, my husband actually encouraged me to do the Walls Protocol for eight months. And I'm like, you will pry the gluten out of my cold, dead hands. Like, <laughs> right. it, no, right. absolutely not. Um, unfortunately, most people I meet that adopt these behaviors are doing so because they've been scared or they're sick enough or they've hit a wall that they're not, they're willing to give up most things to stop it. Now, most people on the other side, a few years into the journey say, it's really not a big deal. I, 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 nothing would tempt me to eat gluten. It just, it wouldn't, but it did for a few years. So do you do gluten-free alternatives of a pizza crust or a bread or anything? Okay. And that doesn't bother you at all? No, but now, so throughout my journey, there have been things that bothered me, things that don't. I'm more sometimes I'm more insulin sensitive or resistant. My candida levels f- fluctuate. It's dynamic. Um, I believe you have to balance. So I have always wholeheartedly agreed, thought that if you love tacos or pizza, make an alternative. Go get gluten free um, taco shells or a gluten free well, pizza crust. Yeah, you know, corn, enjoy. corn tortillas, or you know, absolutely, you, yeah, you or grain free siete. I mean, yeah. Um, Make sure you're replacing, eat a gluten-free hamburger bun. Make sure you're replacing those. But if you live on those, now your diet is just like a sad diet without gluten. 
you're probably Mm going to start getting inflamed because, you know, we don't need hamburger buns every day and and pizza crusts and gluten-free donuts every day. Um, But I I sort of have a happy medium, right? Most days I I focus on vegetables and produce, you know, protein and produce and nuts and seeds, a little bit of gluten-free grain. But for sure, if I want a pizza, I'm going to have a gluten-free pizza. So what will you do for your birthday in January? Are you going to sit there and look at a bowl of uh, quinoa and put a candle in it? No. What are you going to have? My mother makes the best. She takes tenderloin and she makes gluten-free chicken fried steak. Really? (laughs) And gluten-free fried okra. And that is absolutely always my birthday meal. Um, because again, I like food and I'm not going to be deprived. Now, uh, my mother is the best cook. She's known for her cooking and she has modified every food from gumbo to fried shrimp. She loves you because be that's gluten-free. hard work. It is. But what's exciting is that we're going to put out, we're going to put all of her gluten-free recipes from pie crust to biscuits, all of it into a cookbook that will be free. I cannot wait. And it's not that I'm advocating that if you eat these foods every day, that's going to lead to health. But I do advocate if you love chicken fried steak, you should have it once in a while. Do you, what's the, your philosophy then on people? Because some doctors will fuss and say, well, don't remove gluten unless you have to. Right. And remember, I told you the gluten-free bakery here says, he goes, well, everybody, or the guy who came in said, well, everybody has some type of allergy to it. So what's your opinion on that? I mean, this is just an opinion. It totally is. I think um, Grain Brain is one of the most compelling yeah. books ever written. It is I good. mean, his premise is yeah. whatever disease that you are going to get, whether that be heart disease or Parkinson's or anything else, gluten may hasten it. So if you were going to get it at 90, maybe you get it at 80. If you were going to get it at 80, maybe you get it at 60. Um, I also believe that gluten contributes to leaky gut. And once you have leaky gut, you open the door to anything. My opinion was that pe- is that people would not eat gluten. Are there some people that are going to be able to eat it and be okay? I think so. I think anybody with a health issue should just not eat it. Just to be played on the safe side. You know, to make sure their yeah. gut's healing, um, they're not inflamed. You can certainly go try to get an IgG test or remove it and reintroduce it. I'm not a big fan of gluten, you know, but we can't predict who is and isn't vulnerable to it. The sad thing is once you get a very serious diagnosis, it is much harder to go back and undo that than to prevent it. It might be too late in in some respects, not too, too late, because look at you, you, you turned that around, you righted that ship, but I'm just saying. I did, but I dedicated my whole life. I mean, I changed my career, my friends. So what is your career now? Are you still a psychologist? No. So I was a psychologist in the 90s and then I had a corporate career for the next 15 years. I am now a positive psychology coach and a health coach. So I help people adopt. I do positive psychology so I can help anybody with any career change or goals or purpose or anything like that. I work with corporations and entrepreneurs, but my love is applying the principles of behavior change to healthy behavior. Most of my clients have chronic illness or autoimmune. Um, I'm not a functional medicine doctor. I'm not going to tell you what your root cause is. I'm not going to get tests for you, but I can help you design a nutrition and lifestyle plan geared with the goal of healing. I can't tell you who's going to heal or who isn't, but I can tell you anybody can help heal some of their cells. 
Um, so I can help you with the plan and also my expertise is helping you implement that behavior change where it's natural and it sticks and it's not a short term, nothing is short term or to help address the fear of failure or the fear of hope. Um, it's just to start making behavior changes that that like movement and sleep hygiene and environmental detox that are the foundations of healing. And so during the pandemic, you didn't everything went swimmingly for you because you were following your own protocols. <laughs> you know, it didn't because we have a physical business. We have an auto, we have a wellness gym that caters to people with autoimmune and injury in Austin. And that closed for a while. And Ugh. that was incredibly stressful because yes. that is our main source of income. Yes. Um, and so my husband and I have gone through great stress uh, this year and stress is one of the most insidious things. So yeah, we were fine on healthy behavior, but even now, we are so careful with our clients. Uh, first of all, our business is not recovered. Um, we put the welfare of our clients first, so we self-isolate always. And so it's not been easy. Mm. Um, but my partner and I, we did put together a free class that anyone can access on how to live well during the pandemic and beyond, which is eight of our um, simple ways that you can, for example, eat, move, and sleep well, reduce stress, use the elements of the earth, connect create these kinds of things that anyone can do. Okay. We'll put so that we in show put that notes together. too. Can yep. we, is, if that's okay, sure. put you down, put that for show notes. Um, we're going to wrap things up, but I would hope because, you know, now uh, I'm all things about the fermented vegetables. <laughs> yeah. Cause they're good. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Is that something part of your daily intake or would you eat that much yes. of it? Yes. I think it's, I think it's prebiotic and probiotic foods are critical I will say with, as with everything, they're not for everybody at that particular time. It took me five years to introduce fermented foods into my diet. I had histamine issues. I had candida issues. Mm -hmm. I got a severe headache. I got very sick. And it, what's real frustrating is when people feel like, I mean, people tell me all the time, Shannon, I want to adopt this lifestyle, but I can't do a sauna. I'm heat intolerant or I can't you know, do fermented food. So I'm never going to heal, am I? And, and that is not how it works. You can do so many things. Yes, I think they're critical, but if you have an obstacle, again, it goes back to what you said about listening to your body. Mm -hmm. Our bodies are so wise and they will talk to us. And the number one reason I probably got as sick as I did is I did not listen. And I believe if you do not listen to your body when it needs to avoid something or shut down for maintenance, it will shut you down to do the maintenance itself as a last resort. So if fermented foods don't make you feel well, don't keep trying to force it on yourself. Do some gut healing and you'll get there. Mm. But I do have fermented foods every day because I believe it's critical. I just couldn't do it for a long time. Thank you so much, Shannon. You're fantastic. All the information we'll have about you will be in the show notes. And you people need to follow her for sure, Autoimmune Foodie, on the Instagram. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me.
Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? And to reach out, email me, lisa at lisafishersaid.com. Oh,